Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this email Friday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on this October the 21st in the year of our Lord, 2022. The email we're going to be taking a look at is actually a summary of a survey that was done among teenagers recently. And among the teenagers that were surveyed, ages 15 to 19-year-olds, 80% of them expect to live together with another person before marriage. And 95% expect to marry. Now, that's really significant that there are only 20% of teenagers who believe that one should not cohabit with another person in a marriage relationship until they are married. There were a number of reflections and reasons for this. One teenager reflected, I feel like nowadays it's not really as important to get married, especially for people of my age and generation. The reason being is that we are being taught by our parents and educators that our education should come first in order to have a stable life financially and career-wise, which causes many people to neglect the thought of marriage. Not only that, but society has also made marriage seem like it should be like the least important thing for a person to think about. So that's a reflection of one student. Uh, and that student was from Texas. Another student from North Carolina wrote, asking in this survey if I want to get married someday is a poor question in my opinion. Marriage is just a title, a contract. It only begins to matter once love is in the picture. I think it's acceptable to live with a romantic partner without having plans to get married. So what has happened that this has occurred particularly since the 1960s. These findings and quotes are a perfect summary of our current cultural view of relationships and remarriage. Living together is expected, while marriage is simultaneously a throwaway relic from prehistoric times but also a mythical ideal, as has become customary in our modern society, confusion and disillusionment now reign supreme. For example, in the congregation that I was helping out, a couple of young people were getting married and they were asked again and again, by their friends, how come they're still living apart? 
the marriage wasn't going to occur for a few months, and their friends couldn't understand why, since they had decided to get married, they were not living together. Show me a movie these days where somebody refuses to live together with another person until marriage. That just doesn't happen. And it's part of the reason why there's a lot of tragedy in lives that are living together apart from marriage. How did this culture get to such a place where the concept of marriage has become so mocked and deluded? Now, many factors are at play here. But arguably, the most important factor is the societal loss of knowledge of why God created marriage for the human race. A covenantal relationship instituted at the very beginning of creation. This is found even in Matthew 19. Those who made them from the beginning made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. The extent to which teens are without solid foundational beliefs has been documented by other groups. They found that about 4% of Generation Z, and that's the generation we're talking about in young teenagers, only 4% has a biblical worldview. This number is the lowest of the three previous generations. The boomers, 10% had a biblical worldview. 7% of Generation X and 6% of millennials. What does that mean? Well, we've been studying the book of Proverbs on Wednesday. And that is the biblical view of all of reality. And many, many people no longer believe the Bible and the book of Proverbs. The specific loss of a Christian understanding of marriage is key here. For the secular culture, marriage has simply become the formation of a relationship of two people who are already living together. As alluded in quotes from the survey, marriage is seen as a foolish and unimportant idea unless it has been thoroughly road tested by two people who have shacked up together to see how it goes and maybe done as a second thought, if it happens to suit their fancy. 
Now, that last phrase, to suit their fancy, is found throughout the book of Proverbs. Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says people like to live a life that they imagine they want to live. And therefore, they create a God in their own image and follow him rather than the God of the Bible. So they're suiting their own fancy. Well, the problem is just doesn't work. Many studies have consistently shown that couples who live together before getting marriage, married divorce at higher rates than those who wait until marriage to move in together. And the reason is pretty obvious, because if you can't trust your partner when you are married, when you remember you couldn't trust him or her when you were not married, this can lead to all kinds of divorce and contention. It's been intensely debated among university elites, but for believers, the reason is clear. When God's laws against premarital sex are broken and ignored, the results are an absolute disaster. A lot of people think that the law that really talks about breaking a marriage is adultery. But the other one is fornication. That's illicit sex between two people who are not married, whereas adultery occurs with someone who is married and yet they are cheating on the spouse. The sexual revolution began in the 1960s. That's when premarital sex began to become widely culturally accepted. And what skyrocketed the rates of divorce, abortion, sexually transmitted diseases, it went through the roof and is still continuing today. Still, it's quite interesting that even though 90% of, or 80% of teenagers think they're gonna live with someone prior to marriage, that same group, 95% of them say they do want to get married someday. Why is that? Well, despite Despite how profoundly society has cheapened marriage, our souls still yearn for God's design for humankind at the deepest level. That's why it's a rare nation or people that do not have a God of some sort. But the God that they have is often a God that they invent according to their own image. The God of the Bible 
is quite contrary to the image of the gods that we invent. Because we like to think of gods we invent as having the same kind of characteristics as we have. And so therefore, we don't forgive people who don't deserve it. And we don't expect God to forgive those who hurt us. We do long, though, for communion and unity, to be known and loved intimately and exclusively by another person in the form of a vow, which is a reflection of God's love for us. Because that's how God loves you. He made a vow. And that vow began in Genesis chapter 3, when God told the serpent in the hearing of Adam and Eve that from the seed of Eve would come the Savior. Of course, she thought in Genesis 4 verse 1 that Cain was the Messiah when he in reality was the first murderer. And so God took centuries before the Virgin Mary became impregnated through the power of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the Son of God as a human being. That all sounds like a myth and is ridiculous to people in secular society. But the reason they don't accept these things is because they don't want a God that is contrary to their image of what God should be like. We all know that we are all the incarnation of the union of our father and mother. And that was an act that God designed only for marriage. In fact, the entire human race would not exist without the marriage of one man and one woman, and that is Adam and Eve. So, this latest study on cohabitation shows believers we have our work cut out for us. We first need to combat the lies of the secular revolution. Society thinks they're important, but no, they are lies from the devil himself. Remember, Adam and Eve fell into the temptation of Satan because Satan's words seemed to them to be better than God's words. God's words, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Satan's words, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, which one would you choose? And as you take a look at society, every sin is based on a lie from Satan. So we do need to combat the lies of the sexual revolution. That's important. But it's often more effective to witness God's laws and the tangible ways that they bring happiness and joy to marriages and families. 
it should really serve as further motivation to redouble our efforts to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, his sacred vows to us and ours to one another, and commitment to each other, as well as true love to our friends, families, co-workers, neighbors, and others in our circles of influence. So, it's not at all unusual that you'll find someone who is in disagreement with God's Word. That is His Holy Bible. And the reason they're in disagreement is because God doesn't fit into the image they, that they want God to have. And, and that's why they also become self-righteous. What does that mean? Well, rather than look to the righteousness that is given to a person when they trust the promises from Jesus Christ, they think they are righteous when they do good works that they think are pleasing to God. The fact of the matter is, is not everyone can do a good work. What? What do you mean not everyone can do a good work? No. When we talk about a good work from the viewpoint of God, it only can be a work done with the motivation of the Holy Spirit. An unbeliever cannot possibly do a good work in God's eyes. This is where the world gets really confused because they say what they imagine are good works, like feeding the hungry or building homes for the homeless or helping people or visiting folks in prison or at the hospital. But if you look at the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, it's not just the sheep that are helping out people. It's also the goats. They also are helping out people in the sense of feeding them, etc. So why are the sheep given heaven as a home and the goats are not? Because God does not measure our good works by what they are doing but how they are motivated. Every time a person does a good work, they're doing it according to their will. And if their will has not been taken over by the Holy Spirit, if they do not have faith in Jesus Christ, then their motivation is always sinful. That is something a lot of people simply don't understand. Yes, even taking care of children. Parents do that who are unbelievers because it makes them feel good about themselves. It makes them look good in the eyes of others. Your motivation is not something that you're always aware of because when you... For example, you're a Christian, 
and you're going to go to church on Sunday morning. You don't wake up saying to God, well, God, I'm going to get dressed to go to your church because I know I am motivated by my love for Jesus Christ. No, you just get up, eat breakfast, get dressed, and go to church. The thought of your motivation may be absent, but God has a gift of being able to read your heart, which you yourselves don't have. A lot of times, especially for sinners who are unrepentant, they think that what their heart is telling them to do is what God is telling them to do. And therefore, they live on the basis of their emotions, on their thoughts, rather than on the thoughts of God. That's why the book of Proverbs is so interesting. You don't read the book of Proverbs by Solomon in the Old Testament in thinking, well, this is the way you should act in society. No, it's not really talking about how you should act in society. It's talking about what God considers to be a good work. Two people can do the same outwardly good work. A pastor who is Christian can visit someone in the hospital and share with them promises from the Psalms to help them through their surgery or their stay at the hospital. But a Jehovah Witness, that pastor, will also visit a hospital, but they will not be sharing the message of Jesus Christ. They will not be motivated by the Holy Spirit because as a Muslim or a Mormon, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit as the Bible reveals him. And so they fall short of doing motivational, proper good works that are only pleasing to God. That's why reading the Bible is so important. And the task of parents is to bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That doesn't just mean sending them to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or taking them to church. It means that in your home life, you read the scriptures and do more than just read the scriptures to your children, but you explain the English. That's the task of every pastor and every parent. Because so often, if you just read the English and take it literalistically, you miss out on its true meaning. Remember Jesus talking to the rich man, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus does say, give everything you have to the poor, come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. A lot of people, especially during the Middle Ages, began to do monasteries and nunneries. That's what they thought Jesus was talking about, to get out of the world and to be in a life 
where you were praying a number of times each day and doing good works for people. But that fell short of what God considered to be a proper good work because you were therefore doing it in order to get God on your side. That's law orientation. A lot of times kids will obey their parents, not because they want to, but so they don't get disciplined by their parents. That motivation is sinful. We obey our parents because of our love for them. And that comes about as the parents teach us the word of God. Because the more you hear about how much Jesus loves you in dying on the sins, on the cross for your sins, the more you really love your parents for telling them that good news. That's why in Luther's catechism, he talks about how the head of the household should be teaching his children in reading them the catechism on a lengthy level and explaining to them the meaning of the catechism. It's not to obey God's will in order to earn your way to heaven. It's instead to love God's promises, to trust in them. For a person is not saved by any good works. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting his promises. And what does that result in? That results in doing good works that are pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit motivates you to do that. And so you don't have to worry about whether you're going to heaven or not, because God has made a promise, particularly in your baptism, that he who is baptized receives the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what we like to talk about on Law and Gospel. And we hope to do that this coming Monday when we examine the text for the following Sunday and show how Law and Gospel really helps you to understand God's Word for you. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.